brace yourself because you're about to dive into another free first hour episode of the Higher Side Chats. And we just want to let you know that whether you're looking for a companion through your paranoid insomnia, entertaining yourself through one of life's mundane activities, or trying to ward off the internal screams of all those sad, smothered souls around the office, THC is here. And you should know that every episode of the Higher Side Chats has an entire second hour for Plus members. Sign up at thehiresidechats.com and you'll get years of Plus show archives, lifetime forum access, a special invite to Greg Carlwood's monthly joint sessions, MP3s of THC music, bonus episodes, tour videos, and 10% off t-shirts, grinders, and whatever else ends up in the Higher Side store. It's $8 a month that you won't miss, so become a Plus member and treat yourself in these troubled times. Always action-packed and commercial-free, which means you'll unfortunately never hear my voice again. In the 1930s, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the nation through a series of radio broadcasts known as the Fireside Chats. His aim was to reassure the common man that our society would recover from its troubled times. Well, we're far from 1930, and I deal with a different kind of fire. For a new era of worldly frustration, we offer a fresh conversation. I'm Greg Carlwood, and these are the Higher Side Chats. Serenity now, Higher Side Chatters. How the hell are you out there? Drinking a little drink, smoking a little smoke, and trying to keep this ship afloat on the rough and choppy waters of the vast conspiracy... From sunny San Diego, I'm Greg Carlwood, and I think it's becoming more and more clear that things are just not going back to the way they were. For the foreseeable future, our physical space will be full of masks, socially distanced settings, and COVID restrictions, and the online world will continue to be dominated by the same corporate behemoths we love to hate, pushing any and all alternative voices outside of the circle as best they can. But the inspiration is with those being proactive rather than reactive, the bold and brave counterculture leaders who won't sit idly by as the shadowy puppet masters of the capstone cabal systematically snuff out the flame of freedom. Those who are organizing right now to build better systems and communities, both physical and digital, just outside the grasp of the nefarious few. Whether it's secret lists of local restaurants that dare serve food like some Prohibition-era speakeasies, or a confusing cornucopia of new decentralized platforms built on preserving free speech and privacy. We will be alright, because we're taking the party elsewhere. And for me, ladies and gentlemen, nobody is paving the way to the promised land like today's powerhouse guest and alternative party planner, Adam Curry. For the uninitiated, Adam has been in broadcasting and pirate radio since the early 80s, gained popularity as an MTV VJ when that was still a thing, but most importantly, pioneered the podcasting protocol in the early 2000s. He's best known as the crackpot co-host of the ever-popular No Agenda show, as well as the co-host of Mo Facts with Adam Curry, and most recently, the Podcasting 2.0 podcast with Dave Jones. But that's not all, folks. Fed up with the corporate takeover of the internet and the poisoning of the podcasting well, it seems the podfather himself now has a second child he's here to talk to us about, in the new decentralized and superior podcastindex.org, and so much more. He's making the future look quite bright for people like your humble host who are getting worried about the coming censorship storm. So let's do the damn thing. The great podcasting preserver and conspiracy crackpot of the Drone Star State, Mr. Media Assassin himself, Adam the Podfather Curry. Welcome to the higher side. Yeah! I brought my horns! Yeah! <laughs> I love it. I Best love it. Best intro ever, man. 
Thank you so much, Greg. Thank you. <laughs> I try. I try. Yes. Well, hey, thanks for being here. This really was my Make-A-Wish dream. So, uh, you know, <laughs> tell the organization thanks. I can't believe they pulled it off. It was actually, I would say, a um, a good example of how media tribes work, which is what I'm seeing the future or really what media is becoming and has been becoming for a long time, where no agenda has a tribe that overlaps with other tribes like, you know, Joe Rogan, but also Mo Fax and, you know, the higher side, the audiences overlapped yeah. and you said something, people hear it, it goes around. And then all of a sudden I get it from all angles and several reminders. <laughs> <laughs> and that's really the beauty of, well, I think, podcasting for sure, these interactive audiences that are a part of the product and they take ownership and they feel it and it worked. Yes. Well, cheers to that. It is some strange kind of magic that not only are you a pioneer of podcasting itself, but you're also a card carrying member of the conspiracy culture. And that really could not be more perfect for us here because you have the eyes to see what's going on and the technical knowledge to break us free from the chains, my man. It is a beautiful thing. Well, it's the breakfast of champions, you know, it's, <laughs> you want those two things together. Yes, indeed. And I guess let me just get this out of the way. Being the amazing planner that I am, I have you here recording the day before the inauguration rather yeah. than like a couple days after, which, you know, it could be a day of chaos and last mover advantages, or it could be a big nothing burger. I guess we could at least speculate. What do you think? Is it going to be as exciting as the Q crowd thinks it will be? Will Epstein get marched out and tell us about everything behind the curtain and they'll arrest Joe Biden? Or will we be looking at a, a big nothing burger? Well, when you look at the options to the extreme right, as you said, there, I think the most recent update as to what would happen is the Kraken would turn out to be a number of edited videos that would be spread far and wide. And this is the obvious reason why social media was taking down all kinds of accounts because we can't have that spread. And these would be videos of prominent people who would be testifying about the corruption and the heinous acts they have witnessed and perhaps participated in. And the cherry on top should be Jeffrey Epstein and that he that he would implicate a lot of people in their crimes and corruption. To the extreme left, where we have rogue members of either the military or Secret Service getting ready to assassinate Joe Biden. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of those two extremes. The truth may be somewhere in the middle or much like the January 6th scene at the Capitol, there may be multiple truths. Right, right. You played a recent clip of how it went down at Obama's inauguration. And yeah, there were protesters there, too. Oh, there were riots and cars on fire and tear gas and flashbangs and fighting. Oh, it was all kinds of stuff. But we don't remember that. All we remember is the Trump claiming to have had more people attend his inauguration than than Obama. Right. And you can ask anybody. And that's all they remember of that day. But not not the protests that took place. And these protests, they always take place. The Capitol has been. Well, 19 the thing was 68. My goodness. Washington, D.C. was burned to the ground parts of it. Hmm. The riots that took place then. We have we have a very poor understanding of history. Sadly, also a poor record of history. <laughs> yes, of course. 
So when it comes to what will happen, man, I don't know. But the two things I would say is one, the republic functions quite well regardless of who is president. Remember, the states really run a lot, and I believe people will retreat more into looking at local politics and how their state is run because governors have a lot of power. Witness the difference between us here in Texas and California when it comes to being allowed to walk freely. <laughs> right. <laughs> With, in essence, the same virus or the variant or whatever, and I think we're doing just fine. Certainly better compared to people being locked down. But also, not just the American public, but, you know, and this is happening all over the world. Governments are standing down, like in the Netherlands. There's huge division. And oddly enough about masks, it's not just a Democrat or Republican thing. This is going on worldwide. And luckily, a lot of people, because it's lasted so long, and in particular, the media's role in the coronavirus pandemic, people see, I think they're starting to see what's really going on and that the media doesn't have the truth. Their officials don't have the truth. I mean, we're now on day 396 of the two-week flatten the curve. (laughs) So this is, in general, should be a very good thing, no matter who is president. And we'll see a strengthening of independent media, which is why, on one hand, I'm not surprised that Associated Press called for more social moderation of podcasts and that this was some kind of loophole for free speech. Well, darn tootin'. <laughs> you bet it is. So we're going to see alternative platforms. Um, people learn very quickly that any kind of centralized platform like Parler, even though they may have had the best of intentions, is just vulnerable. And there's some education that's needed which is sorely lacking in what the internet is, how it functions, what you can do with it, and why people are not beholden to any particular platform. This is the kind of stuff that that I think will start to happen, and education will change, and Americans will make choices and make changes. This is not necessarily the case all over the world, but in America, we're pioneers. We can weather a storm. So Kind of no matter what happens, there's going to be a lot of changes coming in everybody's life. And you can just forget a new normal. (laughs) Yes. Well said. Cheers to all that. And I also just wanted to say how cathartic No Agenda has been throughout 2020. It is very good medicine for our troubled times. Not only do you guys pick apart the official narrative really well, but you do it with a sense of humor that is more and more rare It is quite magical, man. It's like the world is crumbling around us, but you guys are committed to having a good time. I can't compliment that coverage enough. I'm sure, as you say, we have a lot of crossover listeners, but for those who are unfamiliar, what would you say about your approach to covering something as delicate and heavy as COVID and 2020 and everything that came with it? So what we typically do is deconstruct the media. And that's relatively easy because both John and John C. Dvorak and I, we do the show together for 14 years or running in our 14th year. We have an extensive media background and really cover the entire spectrum, particularly with John's knowledge and experience in publishing and as a columnist. So the publishing world and newspapers and print, like the Times and the Post and how newsrooms work and editorial staff, etc. So to point out the fallacies or the pure propaganda that is that is usually put through the you know this old school messaging system is not that hard 
what gets fun is when you just look down really only one or two layers deeper and you can recover the truth quite easily because everything is recorded somewhere these days. And you can turn that in instead of outrage, we laugh at it because it's funny. It's just funny sometimes how pathetic the attempts are. You know, it's <laughs> I think we also have kind of an old school radio guy approach to, hey, lowest hanging fruit is always the best joke. You know, that's always <laughs> the best punchline. And because we've never taken advertising and have built an audience of producers and we address them as such because they have responsibility for the product, everyone's in on the joke. What I'm interested in, well, to move one step further and then I have to ask you a question. So when the coronavirus started and then I was paying attention very early, I decided that really the only thing where you can find truth is in math numbers. You know, one plus one is two. So when you're talking models, et cetera, you kind of, even though I'm, I am not at all good at math, I'm not a mathematician or any of that stuff, but I can identify trends and I can see those things quite easily. And I understand models because I've been studying climate change models for, well, gosh, almost since the beginning of the show, trying to understand what the P or the N variables are and how that skews the results. And since we were also at a certain point locked down, not that that made my life that much difference, I watched everything, every briefing, you know, starting with the early ones with Fauci and Burks. And I knew these people and I don't have them in high regard because they were the same people who showed up in the HIV AIDS crisis in the 80s and 90s. And I saw a lot of friends die and a lot of promises from Fauci and Burks et al. And they attended a lot of big Hollywood parties. So I was already like ready to. And I guess I'd done enough research, certainly when it comes to PCR, the inventor, Carrie Mullis, very familiar with him, because all of this dates back to HIV. So I decided to really look closely at the numbers, and I was able to call bullcrap very quickly. And they also switched. They went from one model to the next, and then, you know, because we started off with three and a half million, or 3.2 million people will die. And Osterholm, the doctor, he was preaching that. In March, and I know because I met him when I did my first Joe Rogan appearance, he was on right after me. And now this guy is on the team for the Biden COVID response team. So put together our knowledge and experience of media and how the largest advertisers are the pharmaceutical companies. They're number one, followed by the telecoms companies. And of course, in the political year, you have there's a lot of money flowing as well. These things are never discussed. And this is very unique to the United States. I believe it's only the United States and New Zealand who can advertise pharmaceutical products directly to the consumer. So it's easy to poke holes in it, and the mainstream media will not do it because that's their bread and butter. Mm -hmm. But what I'd like to know is what is it about our coverage that was soothing to you? Is it just because we crack a joke about trying to put everything into perspective, or is it the actual dissection of the numbers? or the worldwide coverage, what worked for you? I'm curious. <laughs> well, maybe I'm just partly jealous that you have a co-host because I'm out here by myself and sometimes it feels quite isolating and scary. Uh -huh. But really, I think it is just digesting the same news I'm looking at. But in between it, you are cracking jokes and you're just like, look at these fools. And this isn't, you know, as serious as they're saying it is. Like you mentioned, PCR tests. Yes, you need to have a, a good knowledge of that to tamper down any fear or anxiety. I mean, because that is the name of the game. They're pumping us with so much fear that for you to just 
intellectually piss all over it. I mean, that is so cathartic. It it just takes the uh, the seriousness out of the issue. And I mean, obviously, we have something going on out there. And a lot of people, I don't want to make light of any uh, deaths or economic hardships, of course. But we're talking about just the way you process what's coming from the big machine. And that is the part that has just been so cathartic. Obviously, the conspiracy world has dealt with the Alex Jones approach for a long time, which, you know, sometimes hypes up the fear and anxiety. And so just to have that lighthearted tone, it really is like a, a, a almost like an armor against the fear that they're trying to inject. Yeah. Okay. And I think the way we do that, maybe subconsciously or not purposely, is now we've been around a long, we've seen, I'm 56, John is at least 10 years older than I am. I'm not really sure. It doesn't matter, but we have a lot of experience and a lot of experience. So, you know, when you hear climate change, we say, oh, that's these guys who used to say we're going to have global cooling back in the 70s. They were also part of the population bomb gang. So you see these people come back, you recognize the faces, you know the backstory to them. And also things really rarely go as fast as you think they will. And I've discovered this myself. I've never become a billionaire because everything I was involved in or dreamt up or created was usually 10 years too early. (laughs) (laughs) So when you talk about risk, for us, it's inherent nature because of the aforementioned reasons. But when you say, look, you have a 99% chance of surviving this, you really only have a 97% chance you will survive your next automobile trip. You know, so, and by the way, that becomes a little lower, that number when you have a beer. (laughs) So when you look at in that perspective, and also the number of people who die or severely injured in automobile accidents on annual basis, then you can start putting stuff into perspective. So take along with that, this lockdown and the obvious trauma-based programming of forced muzzle wearing, it's pretty obvious what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Yes. At least to us, I think it's very obvious, but we don't dwell on it. We just move on. Okay. So how else are they going to screw you? <laughs> That's easier to do. <laughs> right. That's the magic. That's the magic. Cause it's easy to, to dwell on it. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Of course, of course. And you know, I don't want to rehash the whole year of COVID because so many guests would be able to do that, but wouldn't be able to talk about podcasting 2.0, which, you know, let's look at where we're going, not where we've been. And to set this up a little bit, when it comes to podcasting 1.0, many people know that it's been kind of pegged to Apple since the early days. But for those who are unfamiliar with your story, you were pretty responsible for that, right? You actually walked Steve Jobs through how it worked before he presented it in an Apple keynote. Is that right? That's not quite the story. It's a nice variation. Um, So Dave Weiner and I created the core concept of the enclosure tag in the RSS feed, which is the main mechanism taking an established protocol and then having a way to attach a file to it. So a program on the other end could save you, which at the time in 2000 was the experience a very slow download speed. So if you wanted to see a video, you clicked and you waited and you watched the wheel spin while it downloaded and then opened an external player. There was no YouTube or anything like that. There was no streaming. 
And the bandwidth was just way too low, but we had always on computers because we had cable modems and this was just starting to happen. So the bandwidth wasn't there, but you didn't have to dial in on your phone modem. And that was, that was already quite an upgrade for the world. So I understood this problem and I wanted this fix and I convinced Dave Weiner to look at it and he eventually understood it and then baked it in. And we were using that technology for a couple of years until I saw the iPod, the first one, the kind of white ceramic with the big clicky wheel on it and everything. <laughs> right. And the LCD screen. <laughs> and I looked at that and went, oh, this is not a digital Walkman. This is not a jukebox. This is a radio receiver. It even looks like one. And it did remind me of my old Sony solid state transistor radio that I used to listen to basketball games under my pillow as a kid when I'd fall asleep. So I set about integrating a feed, an RSS feed with a file, an MP3 file attachment, so that this little program would be checking to see if anything had updated, i.e. was there new programming that I wanted. If it identified it, it would download it, then it would trigger the update to my iPod because at the time we had no iPhones or anything. You still had to sync your iPod to your Mac. And then you could pick up your iPod and go wherever you wanted and you had your programming there. And as a radio guy, which I've done since I was 15, 14, 15, I knew this was revolutionary. This is, you know, I like TiVo for radio. I don't know. It was like, and also it notifies you and there's no waiting for a download. It solves so many problems. So I started making a podcast that we didn't have the name at the time. And I called it the daily source code because what I needed was software developers who work in source code. They needed a daily episode to be able to test RSS feeds again, because I was kind of the only thing out there that was publishing on a regular basis. And they were building the apps, the applications, the radios, the software. And this went very fast. And a lot of people caught on and NPR was doing it thanks to Tony Khan at WGBH in Boston, who dragged NPR into it. Very smart, very smart guy. And you know, then the BBC was interviewing me about it, the New York Times, the Washington Post, it became a whole thing. I was maintaining a directory. And then I got a call if I wanted to meet with Steve Jobs. And I said, well, maybe next Thursday. Let me see if I have time for him, Steve Jobs. <laughs> um, and he asked me to meet him at the D3 conference in California. And I sat with him for an hour. And it was an amazing meeting. I, I, I've been impressed by a lot of people I met, and Quincy Jones, very high on the list. But Steve Jobs kind of topped that. And he was very interested in how we use the Mac to produce stuff and what kind of applications. And even at some point, I was talking about Audio Hijack Pro. And this was kind of in the beginning, and Eddie Q was still there. Later, we were alone. And Eddie Q says, yeah, 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 the RIAA is called. They say we want to got to shut that off so people are hijacking music through Audio Hijack Pro, go figure, it's in the name. And I said, yeah, that's too bad because that's one of the ways we record right now and you know, we don't really have a lot of tools. And Steve Jobs immediately went, Dad, tell them to F off, hold them off. We need to keep these guys going as long as we can. I'm like, oh, Steve Jobs on our, in our camp. Nice. <laughs> and then he said, look, Adam, I want to put podcasting into iTunes. I'd like your kind of your blessing for that. <laughs> I said, yeah, sure. Now, he fully well knew that he had it all teed up and ready to go. And I said, here's the index, take that too. So simultaneously, I had helped podcasting spring forward in a massive way by also handing Apple the index to start. On the other hand, I kind of regret that to some degree and I, no disparaging 
note at all to Apple. They've been great stewards of podcasting, but they became the default and the de facto place where you get listed, you know, and that's a very powerful position. And they've used that quite wisely, as far as I know, until they deplatformed Alex Jones. So to go back to Steve Jobs, he later presented podcasting in iTunes at that D3 conference, and he knew exactly what he was doing. And he played a very funny bit where I was actually swearing about my Mac acting up. And, uh, <laughs> and he, knew, he knew that all. He's a great showman. So he introduced that in a perfect way. And it's on YouTube if you look for it. But Apple decided in a coordinated effort, uh, kind of the first time we saw it across Silicon Valley, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and also Apple and Google, of course, Google Play at the time, they deplatformed Alex Jones's podcast. And I found that to be troubling. <laughs> it's just like, yes. now I understand why they may do it for political reasons, political business reasons, political consumer reasons. So I cannot hold them to account for that. But the next thing that happened was Joe Rogan basically left the free and open podcast system to Spotify, which I'm super happy for him. Joe and I have become kind of friends. He's moved to Austin. Uh, I've been on the show twice now <laughs> with varying levels of success and fun. Um, right, right. Hopefully he'll be on again sometime in the future and we can update him on podcasting 2.0. Mm. But that meant that every single app developer who had a podcast app, all of them, because of the nature of RSS feeds and how many there are and keeping everything up to speed, they were all using Apple's index, which Apple offered for free. They have an API so you can create a podcast app and not have all the heavy lifting underneath. So when Apple, in effect, delisted Alex Jones and when Joe Rogan closed down his feed because he went exclusive to Spotify, that occurred across pretty much the entire independent podcast app ecosystem. And also, now we have two people that a guy's app doesn't work for anymore, even though Alex Jones' feed is still there. Now, Joe Rogan's a different story. And they've also, as app developers, have never been any of the value flow. That Nowhere have they been a part of the money. If there's an advertiser on the podcast, the app doesn't get that. Most people use an app that's free. They like extra features. Some people will pay 99 cents for an extra feature, but you can't really make a living on that. So, mm -hmm. but if we don't, encourage the independent software developers to create great podcast experiences, and there's a lot more room there for an experience, then we'll be left with Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon. Yes. And then you can be deplatformed and you'll be out of existence. And one of these days, one of these companies is going to give it another go. And just like Google tried to break and kill RSS by removing their Google reader, they will try to come up with a different publishing format for podcasts. So. A little over four months ago, I called up my buddy, Dave Jones. We've been developing software together for 10 years that no one wants except us. And I said, Dave, I think finally we're going to do one that will be important to people. And we're going to set up an independent podcast index. And we set it up at podcastindex.org. And so we replicate all that heavy lifting that Apple does for the independent podcast apps with a couple of exceptions. One. Anybody can be in there. We are just hosting a list of feeds. We do not care. Speech is speech. These feeds will not kill you. They're just in a database. Mm -hmm. So anybody can access them all for free and in perpetuity. 
And in fact, we make the entire index available in multiple formats should we either disappear, go away, or should someone want to compete and set up a better index, they're welcome to it. And we also take no commercial money, no advertising. We do it purely based on value for value, which is what I call the system that we employ. And it's very simple. If you get any kind of value out of what we're doing here, and that's the entire development platform, the index, the availability for any developer to use it, we have a podcast companion that goes with it, then just put that into a number and send it to us. And for some people, $5 is a lot of value. It's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. For some, 50 is easy. Many say, oh, I think it's worth 500. And believe it or not, some will send you 5,000. And so that's how we keep the index running. And we have now, I guess, about 15 independent app developers, some who've been around for a while, Podcast Addict for Android, PlayPod just switched to the index. We have PodFriend, there's a lot of pod names, obviously, Hypercatcher, Podcast Guru, a lot of apps on every single platform. And they are not only using the immutable index, but we also discovered that we had a unique opportunity to move podcast features forward that had been stagnant for about 10 years. Can I keep going here? You, if yeah. you need to throw a rock at me if you want <laughs> me to stop, because I will keep going. Yes. Well, obviously, I want to get into the retooling part because that is very exciting. But to back up a little bit, as you mentioned, the value for value model, people who know you know you're very committed to that, where listeners of No Agenda or people who are seeing value in podcasting 2.0, they contribute their time, talents, or treasure. It's a yeah. well-worded phrase. Right on. <laughs> and... uh you know, I've also heard you commonly say that advertising is censorship, and I totally agree. I've been really committed to not going down that road here. But in the early days of this show, we did the whole donation-based plea, not exactly the same as value for value. But after a while, I created a model that I hadn't really seen anyone use or even heard anyone use before or after. You might find it interesting, but I called it the money bomb. And I would take all the donations for a given month, usually around a grand or two, and I would keep half and I would gift the other half back to a random listener. And it was pretty great while it lasted. It made a difference for a lot of listeners who donated $5 and then ended up getting a grand dropped in their lap. But, you know, it was also kind of an international raffle and probably broke several laws. So <laughs> I was going to say, it sounds like you're running an illegal lottery there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I put it to bed, of course, but it was fun while it lasted. But I did want to ask you about just models for podcasting and really just how advertising has been the dominant one. And it is so attached to censorship. How does it make you feel to see podcasting where it is today, largely supported by big advertisers that I don't think either one of us are a fan of? Well, let's put a couple things into perspective. One, the large majority of people doing a podcast really don't care about getting paid. I'm talking 90% plus. People just doing a podcast for their friends, for themselves, could be something internal for a group, for any club. And I really appreciate that. In fact, one of the benefits of the index is you don't have to go through an approval process through Apple anymore. You can just submit it to the index and it gets put right in. So a college professor can create a podcast of his lectures and a student could put together a custom app that is only for his lectures. You know, that's the ecosystem I want to create because a podcast in my mind is more of a 
protocol and how things work and not necessarily about the type of content that's encased in it. So I find that of equal importance. And this is now really a publishing platform that we're enriching. And of course, we'll talk about how we tie money into that. That can be used for many different things. So then the basic, and we saw this happen with blogging, where you know when blogs first started, everyone was like, oh my gosh, uh, yeah, I'm going to make money. I'm going to make money on this blog. And of course, only five or 10 people really made any money on their blog. And then in came the display advertising and perfect timing with you know Google and AdWords, AdSense. And so everybody had widgets and things, and we're going to make money this way. And the advertising is sponsoring the free web. And boy, did we make a big mistake with all that because especially on the web pre-app, it became unwieldy. <laughs> you, could, you, you couldn't uh, really, you can't even surf a page anymore. And then the incessant blocking between, you know, so the business model really still had yet to be defined when it comes to creative works. So for reference things, and I would say mainly for historical reference, accuracy, to access certain types of information. I, I think people have no problem like medical databases and any of the medical publishers that you may have to pay for or any scientific papers. So all these things, that's really not a problem. But when it comes to creative efforts like podcasting, people kind of slipped into the same, well, you know, we'll just have, we'll throw some ads in there and we're gonna make some money and it'll offset hosting. And what it really does is it screws up a lot of your life without delivering a big benefit. But we only hear about the successes and, oh my gosh, uh, Joe Rogan, 30 million a year. Yeah, that could happen, but that is not the future. And funny enough, everybody has a future, which I hope I can explain. Yes. So the other aspect of advertising is that even if it's just you not being able to say something about a competitor to an advertiser's product or service is censorship is self-censoring and you even agree to it. In fact, you probably agree to a lot more like no disparagement clause, but a morality clause and all kinds of stuff. When you're signing these types of agreements with advertisers or their representatives, you're really in a weak position and you've weakened your own position because an advertiser can interpret those words very simply and pull your funding. And this is always the risk that people take because, you know, Internet money can be really fun in the beginning and then you start to rely on it and it can be a real problem if you're not prepared and have some kind of fallback or diversified your income streams. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So the more advertising, the more censorship you will apply. And I am a firm believer that pretty much all deplatforming is related to advertising. It is the mechanism to the degree where you see virtue signaling from large American corporations against outgoing President Donald Trump and his quote unquote allies. And that is a virtue signal out of fear they will be targeted for not speaking out against the evil. And this is how far it's come. So this is a very, very powerful weapon and well, we have ourselves to blame. We run on advertising and we've always had influence in advertising in our media and we, we're more aware of it now that it's in our face all the time and we understand the mechanisms. 
Right. Advertising as a model just does not work. It is problematic for podcasting. And well, no, what, let me say, I'm not against advertising, but when it comes to a creative product, right, it's going to be influenced by that. Even if it's not a creative product, any type of advertising will influence it. So I guess the important thing is, what is this creative product that you're getting that can be compromised? And please be aware that it's compromised. Yes, yes. That's the bottom line. Now, anyone can, just because someone doesn't have advertising doesn't mean that they're correct. <laughs> but Damn. I feel a hell of a lot freer, that's for sure. <laughs> yes, yes. And if you set out to make a show that's specifically going to be about controversial positions, it does uh, make it more difficult. And so without advertising, there's really only a couple of things that work. I mean, in my case, when I wound down the money bomb thing, I tried to go back to donation-based volunteerism. But the problem I found is I started to get a handful of donors dominating the monthly donations. And those donations started to come with guest requests attached. And they'd drop off if I didn't comply. And it started to feel a little icky and it wasn't working either. So I went with the first hour free, second hour paid model, which has been a godsend and provided an ad-free stable income, got me out of the sinking ship that was GameStop store management. And it was basically Patreon before there was a Patreon. But it's really the only other thing that works besides what you do, as far as I can tell. And of course, this kind of leads into podcasting 2.0 and why it's so important. Everyone who's hearing us is obviously a podcast listener. So they have a little bit of a vested interest in where this medium is going. But I'm sure so many of our colleagues will be listening. These people who are trying to make a career or keep a career in a space where we're talking about controversial material. Well, paint a picture for the next five to 10 years because they seem to be coming for people in our position. And so many fellow hosts would probably love to hear your best advice for armoring up and protecting our shows and our places on the internet as we go forward. So a little bit of history just to explain how we move forward. Over 13 years ago, when John C. Dvorak and I started No Agenda, we recognized fairly quickly into the program that this was going to be a lot of work, actual work. And we said to the, however many people were listening at the time, we said, we'd like to do this. We want to continue with this. We might even move to a second show a week because there's a lot of news to handle. But you're going to have to pay for it because we can't take advertising. Greg, we just talked about that. Why? But we also decided to try something a little different by not devaluing our product to a tip. And at the time, it was a very popular thing. Tip jar. Yeah. He'd be on the tip yeah. jar because we had PayPal tip jar. <laughs> Guilty. And we, yeah, well, we don't work for tips. So, <laughs> and I'm not ashamed to say it. And this is the important part. You have to be proud of your work, stand behind it and not be ashamed to say, I want you to support it. Now, the difference is by not saying, here's how much. And for me, this is the same as when, and I kind of disliked, no, I very much disliked what Apple did when they unbundled all the albums, turned it into tracks and priced them at 99 cents. So when I went to purchase, I want to hold your hand by the Beatles, I think one of the greatest love songs ever written. I was like, this is so insulting. The energy that went into making this, it's so much more valuable to me. If it had said $99, I would have paid for it. So hmm. turns out, as I said earlier, when you ask people to value the program for themselves and send us whatever that's worth to them, 
you get an incredible, not everyone's a cheapskate. And by the way, someone sending $500, they may feel that they're cheapskate because they got so much more of it. So you don't know other people. And it's beautiful when you find out the range and people will send you notes. Now, we said this is not an exchange. You know, we'll read your note. I'm not going to give you a tote bag. We're not going to jump through hoops. You know, and of course, we wound up doing all kinds of things. Uh, but that started to sustain us as we grew. And we've grown very steadily about 20% year over year for the past 13 somewhat years. And we have two families who are sustained by it, who kids went to school, everybody's happy. We live a comfortable life. We work very hard and we really have less worry than we ever used to have about the donations dropping off. And that's twofold. One is we addressed our audience as producers and we added to the financial part. There's other things you can do. And that's the time, talent and treasure. I have to attribute that to my, my wife, Tina, the keeper, who has been a fundraising, a nonprofit professional for most of her career. Uh, most recently, Ronald McDonald House Charities, Central Texas. And you use those three T's and yeah, it's time, people spending time to write you a report. Everybody has an expertise in something. It's my job to weed out who's full of crap or try and authenticate. And over time, you develop a virtual army of thousands of producers. We even give them credits, executive producer, associate producer, and we are creating this thing together. So when a call goes out, if donations have been low, and we're honest about it, we give everyone the numbers right in the show. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. So you can add it up and see how we're doing, and we're not hiding anything. It turns out it works. And I believe this to be the valuation, the price-finding mechanism of media, really postmodern media, podcasting being a leading driver of that. So knowing that this is a successful way to run your media business, and there's an additional benefit that you don't really have to be looking at statistics. We don't. I have no idea exactly how many people listen to the show. And even statistics, you know, you can't trust them at all. Mm -hmm. It's probably a million to well, between 800,000 and 1.4 million. But we don't care. Can we pay the mortgage? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Great show. <laughs> and <laughs> if not, then, you know, we get adjusted. Now we do have, you have to remind people, you have to continuously ask them. So my, Dream has always been, instead of lumping it into kind of an upfront payment or, or hey, I'd love the past two months, here's 50 bucks, why not do an exact equal value for value exchange? And that would be when you're consuming the product, in this case, I'm talking about podcast and listening, but it will work perfectly for video. I determine what that show is worth to me. And when I really think about it, I think, mm, and from my informal survey, many people would say, if I suggested to you $1 an hour for any podcast that you listen to, you'd probably say, yeah, that's fine. You know, that's a pretty good number. So if you break that up into micro payments using digital money and you stream that in real time, you in essence have created a value loop where I am receiving value coming from you in MP3 ones and zeros. And simultaneously, every minute I'm sending you value, the value I attribute to it in real time back to you. When I stop listening, my payment stops. I pick it up, it picks up again. 
do I like something really, I like it a lot. I'm going to up that to $3 an hour or $30 an hour. Mm. And if you look at the numbers, and this is what we've built with podcasting 2.0, and you'll see this start to roll out across multiple podcast apps in the next few weeks to few months. Mm. And that is, and I should backtrack in a moment and explain a little bit about all the features podcasting 2.0 is bringing because it's more than just this. The numbers in the United States are as follows. Now, remember, we wanted to build an ecosystem of all kinds of individuals and companies, and everybody's welcome to play. But we have to make sure the application developers who are creating independent experiences is not just an app. Not everyone's creating the same app. Apps have vastly different functions these days. And newpodcastapps.com, newpodcastapps.com, that is where you can already see a whole list of apps that you can download for which platforms and you know, web apps are taking off as well. So there's a hundred million people in the United States who listen to podcasts every day. This is the interactive advertising bureau statistics. It's probably a little more, but let's say a hundred million. They listen on average to one hour of podcasts a day. So that's 100 million hours being listened on a daily basis. Now, when it comes to converting those people to implementing a value for value system, i.e. filling up their wallet in their favorite podcast app and start to send value in this manner, I think it's possible for us to get 1% of those 100 million. And I say that based on 13 and a half years of a value for value based business. I say it based upon the number of PayPal buttons that websites use, Patreon, there's a lot of different systems. So I think we could say there's a million people a day would be willing to do this. Now you value that at $1. Now you got a million dollars a day flowing through podcasting. Hmm. And the way the podcast index functions in this is we are the royalty agency for the next generation of media creators. So instead of going through, and I'll use music as an example because it will work for this as well. We just have to finish podcasting first to prove it. ASCAP, BMI, the Harry Fox Agency, CSAC, Buma, Stemra, all of these public rights organizations, performing rights organizations, where your product is used, listened to, consumed, broadcast, they go track down where it came from, they collect the money, they wash it up, give the money to the wrong people. <laughs> and 48 months later, a penny drips out the other end. <laughs> it's a shit system. It's a shit, shit, shit system. And everybody knows it. And that's why you get a publishing deal and you don't get the publishing. The record company gets the publishing and you have to go in debt. That's why you're enslaved to the system. So in podcasting, and that's not so much slavery <laughs> as there is just suck. The ads suck. They make you suck. The whole thing sucks. Amen. So this gets fixed in a manner that puts a digital agreement in place. So you can say by default, 1% of every payment. Now we're talking digital money. So you can break that down to one, one millionth of a percent. So we can do this for a long time. Mm-hmm. 1% goes to the app you were using, 1% goes to the podcast index to keep it all running, 
And then 98% goes to the podcast producer who in turn can say, all right, I have a co-host. We'll each take 40%. We're going to give 5% to the guy who does the artwork every single episode, or maybe even just for this episode. And we're going to give 5% to my mom who uh, invested a grand in us to get all the equipment to get started. So now every payment is split up in those five different payments in real time. Yes. This is the future of creative product. And it's direct from the creator to the consumer. And the return is direct from the consumer to the creator. And it's instantaneous. It's all verifiable. These types of technologies have an open log uh, ledger by definition, which is public. Then we think it's going to change a lot of things. I agree. This is so, so exciting. I've really loved listening to Podcasting 2.0 and following along with these developments and trying to wrap my head around this cutting edge stuff. It sounds a little like what people might be familiar with with Twitch, where as you watch, you contribute in real time and it's baked into the platform. And, you know, right now I take payments and I give a fraction of that to PayPal or Stripe because I have to, but I would much rather contribute to the app developer themselves because that is such a, an important part of what I do that people have an app that's very convenient to plug in my feed too, especially because I do the, the paid model. Like there's apps out there that thankfully support password protected feeds and they're a godsend to me. So I would definitely rather have them take a part of the, the payment, the contribution, and cut out Visa, MasterCard, yeah. PayPal, and Stripe. Yeah. It'd be a beautiful, beautiful thing. I'm very excited about this. Well, you hit it right on the head, actually. And when you see functionality like with Twitch contributing in real time, so we have that, we call that a boost, and you can configure that independently. So you can say, all right, I want to do like a 50 cent boost, but you could make it literally anything you want. You hit it in real time. That money goes down the same split path to all the different recipients. But what's cool about it, and now I'm moving ahead a little bit, but since this is all blockchain based technology, when you boost on one app, when you're listening to the show in a completely different app as a completely different person, we can make that boost show up at the exact moment when someone did it on the other app with the amount, et cetera. So now you have connected a podcast experience between two different people on completely different platforms who know nothing about each other. And the next step is chat, community chat, different types of interactions, all based on micropayments. I mean, we're talking at in dollar and fiat money or cuck bucks, <laughs> less than a tenth of a penny, and it could be even less. There's many ways to utilize that as spam protection, which is why you've always heard, you know, people like Bill Gates say, well, if only we could charge for email. Well, no one's going to spend a penny or a dime or put down their credit card for that crap. But in the coming era and today's generation, I'm old AF right now, is very comfortable with QR codes for payments and using an app and the speed to which things can be accomplished. Once they see 
the enormous benefits of dealing in, and I'm going to say specifically Bitcoin. It sounds scary, but it's not. Already you can get an app called Strike. It's Venmo for Bitcoin, and you don't even know it other than it's connected directly to your card or your bank account, and it functions just like Venmo. Only the capabilities of that digital side of it is what allows us to do these types of micropayments. So your life will not change very much in order to participate in this. Right. I mean, this is awesome. It would be so great to see advertisers cut out of podcasting. I mean, just as a listener, it's very annoying to me. And uh, I would love to see us change the model. It, and it's like we needed to see this happen. We needed to see it get so dirty so that we could understand the need to improve it. And uh, as we're you know, going into the second hour, before we do, I wanted you to maybe give us a little more about the other aspects of retooling, maybe that don't have anything to do with money, but would improve the overall experience for listeners, things that you're talking about, like transcripts and sound bites. What other things are going to be added to this new platform? I appreciate you asking that. So historically, podcasting has consisted of these elements. One is that that central index, which we eventually plan to completely decentralize, but we're functioning as that now, but that's always been Apple. And Apple had a large usage of their podcast app, still the largest to date, although others are catching up. So in order to add a feature to podcasting as a whole, the protocol itself, you can't go to one company. Everyone kind of has to agree. So you have the companies that are podcast hosting companies who perform two important functions, well, three really. One is the hosting of your files and making that as cost-effective as possible. Two is the creation of your podcast feed, which is that RSS feed we've been talking about, and making use of the features that are available there. And then, of course, there's some statistical analysis that they like. So if you add something to what a podcast can do, such as chapters, so there are some podcast apps that have chapters that are baked into the MP3 file itself, but most don't have that functionality. Most people, for a variety of reasons, don't want to go through that step. Also, you can't really change it once someone has downloaded the file, I can't adapt it or add something to it. So there was always a big need and a desire for having that external to a file. And you can create those extra little bits in the RSS feed on the host publishing side. But if the largest podcast app being Apple doesn't implement it, then it'll be of no use. So that's a waste of resources for these smallish type, medium-sized companies that do podcast hosting. And so then everyone tried to put together groups and steering committees and commissions and boards of governors. And for 10 years, nothing happened, nothing. So in us reclaiming the open nature of podcasting with podcastindex.org, we sprouted a whole bunch of new apps. And because of that, and because people are using these apps and they like the features they're seeing, so it was still a little bit of chicken and egg, but we had enough people who were willing to change their feeds and create them, enough hosting companies who would add that, enough app developers who would create the experience, that we now have a whole plethora of extra features. We have transcripts, which turns out is actually kind of a cool way to, you know, if you just want to, what did that person just say? Go back, look at the transcript. You can also search it. So you open up 
the podcast. Where, where, where was it in the show that they said, talked about that? So you can just search the transcript. It's in your app and boom, there you go. You can find it, click on it, it starts playing from that moment. We also, with chapters, you can do chapter images. So at a certain time, you can say, I'm talking about my studio with you. And if you take a look at your screen, you'll see a shot of the studio and even a link that'll take you to a web page of the details of what I have in my studio. Beautiful. Now, we even have some Hollywood people who want to use this because now you can do some interesting presentations. But we have some some fundamental other pieces that are good for promotion, like I think it's called the clips. It's called clips where you can uh, sound bite sound bites. You know better than I do. Thank you. <laughs> sound bites which can be crowd created. We have uh, the funding tag, which allows a podcast app to pop up a button in a good place so that the listener sees it, and that'll link directly to your donation page. And of course, we can always do a lightning Bitcoin QR payment or just tap and connect to your app. All these different tags, it makes it a much richer experience because now they're known variables and when you get location, which is coming in the next version, you'll see some more interesting things of how do I find a podcast that were created in this particular spot or that talk about this particular village. And a lot of that is about discovery. We have a people search, person search, and it works surprisingly well. If you're looking for one person, whether it's a guest or maybe mentioned in a show note or host or co-host, It'll show up the episodes with that name in it. It's quite magical. Yes. So these are all, and even NPR has been begging Apple for many years, apparently. They want to have seasons so you can organize your podcast in an app by seasons, which is currently possible, but Apple only allows season one, season two, season three, and they want to have it open-ended so they can write, you know, 2020 season, the goat and the schoolhouse. You know, <laughs> So all of these things are what the users want. And that's how podcasting has always grown. And because it's not a platform, it's a protocol, everybody kind of gets on board and then we start supporting it. And before you know it, just like how I got on this show, a listener hears something, listens to another podcast, writes an email to that podcast host, and you know stuff grows and expands and people start using it, newpodcastapps.com. Mm. Wow. What a sales pitch, man. I really love it. It's very exciting because I've been doing my show for 10 years. Did I lose not... you? Nope. I did the classic stupid thing of uh, pausing oh, it to clear my throat and then not unpausing uh, un it. So. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> I'll clear my throat too. There we go. <laughs> the real irony is I was just saying I've been doing this for 10 years and uh, clearly still making the same mistakes. But the point was that it's it hasn't really evolved beyond just getting bigger. Like the technology doesn't seem to have changed too much. So this is super exciting to have this level change. I really like what you mentioned about the chapters and an image to go along with that. Because for what I do, when I interview people, it's it's usually pretty information dense. And yep. I've always avoided moving to a video show because it's hard to operate without YouTube. But it would be nice to have a slide feature because some guests come here with their complex research and they have these slide images and I throw them in the show notes, but to have them right along with the show would be pretty slick. And that's just one thing. And to show you where this is going and, and I've always wanted to see this happen. You know, when you, 
create a Word document, you send it to somebody, they open it in Word. You know, so it's very powerful that you can create and edit on both ends of that system. Now, sometimes people will print it as a PDF, but that's kind of a fuck you. You can't, you can't, you can't <laughs> alter this. So with one of the apps, Hypercatcher, which I think is iOS only at the moment, Hypercatcher allows you to create a suggested chapter. So in the app, you're listening and like, oh, this would be cool. You stop, you say, we don't have to stop. You just hit the add chapter suggestion. You type in what the suggested title would be. You can type in a URL and then there's the image that can be added and it goes into a back end which is the Hypercatcher Studio, and there you can moderate and you can approve all these different chapter submissions. So you can really do that as a community. And it's very surprising. I mean, we have one guy, it's called No Agenda Quotes. He's been posting quotes from the show for years and years and years and years and years. And now he's just showing up and adding those into the show. Whatever he liked as a quote, he now tags it with that quote as a chapter marker. This is really, and so... That's the beginning of people interacting with each other connected to the podcast. So the best implementation of this is something called Sphinx Chat, which is still in beta testing, although it's very ready for prime time, but there's a lot of backend stuff they have to do before they go full-blown in the app store. And they have a concept of a tribe. So you have a podcast tribe. It's messaging. It's actually sending money money back and forth. It's boosting. It's streaming payments all in one. And it's really fun because now you have this kind of 24-hour chat room where people can contribute value. And just by the fact that you are paying, it may be very little, but you're paying to say something. So instead of, you know, like pay to play, you're play to pay. Hmm. And it creates just more value for the entire community. Yeah, it's really... Great. And I know you are kind of soliciting all kinds of different developers to make many new apps that would serve all different types of needs. And obviously, this isn't all about me, but for people who do have my model where I offer paywalled content and longer shows for those who do contribute, it would be beautiful if there was some app out there that was developed where a listener could create a paid account and automatically be served up the paid feed all seamlessly in the app. And obviously this isn't just me because a lot of people have adopted the Patreon model, but are going to need to get away from Patreon as a company. So if there's developers out there that might want to serve that need, I think people in my position would gladly share that revenue with them. So help a brother out, people who might be listening. Yeah, that's a very important point. And thank you for bringing that up. And I'm going to bring this up on the next Podcasting 2.0 podcast. That's an excellent point, actually. It is extremely easy to add the Patreon functionality. Mm. A paywall, so under the hood paywall, where you want to listen to hour two of the podcast, and you could either pre-authorize that or just say, hey, I want to listen to it. And I'll say, okay, that's, you know, whatever X is, or it's automatically deducted from your ongoing relationship. But it just triggers right away and the whole process is seamless. Oh, wow. You could do it, obviously, an offer. Like if you 
do it month to month, it will be cheaper than per episode. But regardless, putting an actual paywall in place, a lot of work has been done on that. That's amazing. I personally believe that if you do it in the full value for value exchange, where people set their own value and you just do everything open, I think you'll make more. But I would not advise you to try that if it could ruin you because it sounded like you're very happy with the Patreon model. But I pledge to you that I will make sure this is implemented somehow in the API. It'll take a little bit longer because we have a lot of developers to get up to speed. And probably around the end of this month, my co-founder, Dave Jones, will be doing a, dare I say, a webinar, (laughs) a webinar Uh, Mm -hmm. for all of our devs that are currently hanging out to help them implement the upgrades to our API and LNPay's API, which we're using initially. Then there's a couple other ways. And we're trying to make this as broad as possible. So we have all kinds of different implementations. But I commit that we will get a Patreon version of it implemented for those who want it. Wow. That should be very easy. And podcasterwallet.com is going to be the place for podcasters to go. You can't do anything now because our beta test is closed off, but you can go see what it is. And it's really a verification of your feed. So, you know, every feed has a feed owner email in it. If you can receive and reply to email from that address or even receive, because we give you a QR code for verification, you know, then you can start messing around with your value block and your splits and where you want payments to go. So it's going to be very easy. It's just, we're talking about this today and it's just going to be a few more weeks, but very, very soon. And of course, I'll give you a super heads up because I want you to be one of the first to use it. Yes, I appreciate it. It is so exciting. And I, I totally respect the value for value model. You're probably right because right now I charge for five two-hour shows a month, which is less than a dollar an hour, clearly. So Mm -hmm. maybe I'm getting gypped here (laughs) and you're making some good points. Well, you know what's beautiful, though, is that I know, we both know that the people who are on the other end of this conversation, a lot of them will be willing to try it. And I love that. And it's not a one-way street. You know, podcastindex.social, we have a little social network there. Anyone can join, just register. We have developers, we have journalists, we have company owners, also just podcasters, podcast listeners. Everyone is free to contribute to the conversation. And there's no algorithm. So it's not like Twitter. It's like you can have an argument, but it's just going to scroll off. (laughs) You're just going to go away. It's not going to be interesting. So it's very, very high signal to noise. And we appreciate anyone coming in. And as you pointed out, I mean, this is exactly what I need. We need this kind of feedback patreon function you got it we're gonna put that in it's it's on the list amazing amazing man music to my ears and as we're starting to wrap this thing up just to put a nice little bow on this uh podcasting package what can people do to help this podcasting 2.0 project along what can listeners do what can hosts do because i think we all want the same thing here well the best thing that people can do if you're just interested and want to check it out, is go to newpodcastapps.com and you can see different hosting companies, but a lot of different apps and experiences. They're not all just traditional apps and what features they support. Not all of them support all the features, but you can certainly enjoy at the most basic level, those that have our search 
including the people search, which really, you know, is a great way to find specific episodes that you'd be interested in. So supporting that and, you know, you don't have to switch to a new app necessarily, but just check it out, see if there's any features there. I particularly like Hypercatcher, Podfriend, which is a web app. And then we have, I want to say a podcast addict is really integrating a lot. They're pretty big on the Android side, Mm -hmm. but there are more being added every single day. Play a pod, just switched to the index for all of their searches. And they did that purely to help the core mission which is preserving podcasting as a platform for free speech. And the best thing you can do is when we're a little bit more down the line, but it's never too early to start, is if you see some features that you like and with knowing with the payment, the value for value is coming, consider asking a couple of your favorite podcasts if they can add these into the content. So chapters would be a good one. And if they say, hey, my hosting provider doesn't, provide for that, then on that same new podcastapps.com, you can find a, you can point them to a hosting provider. And we have some big ones like Buzzsprout, you know, they'll be happy to help you migrate and add those features. That's how the marketing has always worked in podcasting. And I need to always remind myself in the early days before integrated into Apple and iTunes to subscribe to a podcast, we would tell our listeners Go to my webpage, find the little orange XML button. You got it? Okay. Now right click on that and then do copy link. Now go back to your podcast application. Okay. Now click the plus button. Now paste that URL in there and then click okay. And millions of people did it. So people who are in the podcast ecosystem, whether you're producing, whether you're a developer, or whether you're an audience member, you are already wired to be able to do these things and to be adventurous and discover the next generation of media. Mm. Wow. Just like that. I love it, man. I'm pretty happy with that myself. <laughs> yes. Well, hey, I'm definitely throwing you guys at least 500 bucks when we get off this call because this oh my is goodness. too no, important. And Very kind of you. Yeah, you got it. Money is uh, the fuel that gets this machine going and gets it here faster than uh, the big machine wants to shut us all down. So I appreciate you. Well, you've already witnessed yourself with your own business model. The days of free are over. And when you stop giving away or accepting stuff for free, knowing that there's stuff attached to it, you actually create more freedom for yourself. Wise words. Well, right on. This has been a true honor and a pleasure, man. I already owe my career to you in a big way. And as the world changes, you might just be on the forefront of paving a path that saves my ass again. Ass save 2.0. I really appreciate it, man. Uh, Adam Curry, the rebel with the cause, making the future look a little bit brighter. Thanks again. No Agenda, of course, is the show everyone should check out. Mo Facts as well. And Podcasting 2.0 is a third show for the techie people who want to really get under the hood of what's happening. Any other links to leave them with? No, man, that's it. And I really appreciate the time. I very much appreciate your questions and your preparation. Really enjoyable. And this was what I had always hoped some podcast conference would ask me to do. They never do. They never ask Dvorak or myself to come and tell them how we do it or how you can be successful. 
And you pretty much did that from beginning to end, and, and it's really much appreciated. This is one from my own archive. Ah, too kind. Glad to hear that. Well, thanks again, and take care out there, man. All right. Beware of the Kraken. I'll talk to you. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Conspiracy Kraken be damned. We did it. I'm not sure exactly where I said it. Maybe it was on the joint session show in December. But somebody asked me about dream guests, and of course I mentioned Adam because of that perfect overlap between the crackpot mindset and the technical knowledge to solve some of the issues we have in the podcasting space. So a big thanks to you in the tribe, as Adam might say, for putting the bug in his ear and helping me make it happen. Listening back to it, I was actually talking really fast, so... You heard a combination of me fanboying out a little bit, which is rare these days, but sometimes it's good and fun to be a little nervous. Coupled with a need to talk fucking fast, because I wanted to make this a show that covered the background of podcasting for those who didn't know, and put a little respect on Adam's name for his role in things. So we had to lay that base with enough room left over to actually talk about what those innovations are. It's a lot especially with the Higher Side Chats model, because I wanted to cram all that into the first hour, really. But these days, we're hearing about so many new platforms and protocols and applications, it's nauseating. So it's important that our listeners know that this isn't just some John McAfee rant. Adam can and is doing these things that will level up podcasting, with some assistance, of course. And he flattered me a bit by letting me feel like improving my particular model is in the mix, and I could have even had the slightest influence by making a request, a trick I'm sure he picked up from Steve Jobs all those years ago. <laughs> but I'm not complaining. I know it's fun to talk about the big conspiracy and demons and ghosts and underground cloning centers, so this one might have been a bit practical and technical for some of you guys, but if you like this show, then we all have a vested interest in getting a handle on what's happening with podcastindex.org and making sure we're not only spreading the word, but using apps that have made the upgrade. They say let the market decide, and you guys are the market. I was also really excited to hear on Adam's last episode of Podcasting 2.0 that his next guest is Todd from Blueberry, and that is music to my ears because Blueberry is a big part of the engine that makes the Higher Side Chats run. It's all coming together. <laughs> I can't believe it. It's nice because Apple was obviously a big part of us getting where we are today, but now podcasting needs to pivot to a more open and decentralized system. Podcasting really is central to free speech. This whole thing came about in a way that busted up the monopoly on who gets to speak, who gets to generate an audience. You know, forget agents and managers and one-sided corporate contracts that leech off the skills of their hired talent. Podcasting allowed the free market to decide, and what do you know? It turns out when people have other options, Jimmy Fallon and Trevor Noah aren't so hot. Who would have guessed? <laughs> but I'm a happy man today. Not only am I getting this out to you guys, but Gab actually verified me with the blue check mark. Of course, you have to get Gab Pro to even be considered, and I did that. But if we have to pay to play on Gab, and that's the cost of not having our data harvested and not having bullshit Ford truck and me undies ads shoehorned in front of our content, then it's my preferred choice. 
you know, historically, I have kind of isolated myself. I do my thing and just kind of want to be left alone. Besides that, yes, I get guests and I try to give them a good interview. But outside of a small handful of folks, I really don't do the whole networking thing very well. Maybe I'm a bit skeptical of people, if you could believe it. But it's probably time to open up a bit. I mean, hey, it was mentioning to you guys who I'd want to have on that made it happen. It was asking Gab to verify me that got it done. And in another synchronicity, a fellow named Mitch, who is developing the Podverse app for both iOS and Android, thank God, he reached out to me in an email explaining that he was building his app using the new decentralized index, had no idea I was interviewing Adam and already was aware of this. But he said that right now, they don't have password-protected feed capabilities, but they've gotten requests that I guess involve THC+, and now they are testing and implementing that feature in their app using the Higher Side Chats as the very show to test it and make sure it all works well. So January has been very good to me so far, and I'm going to try to open up a bit more to the world at large. What Adam and John have done with No Agenda is fascinating. The community involvement, the sort of open sourcing of the brand name to projects like No Agenda Phone and No Agenda Meetups. It's a beautiful thing. I don't know how many technically skilled listeners we have that would want to expand things in a similar way in exchange for, I guess, the only thing I have, a free plus membership. But if there are some, I'd love to hear your guys' ideas. I've said this in a few wrap-ups now lately, but it is more about you guys being able to find each other. The value of that, given the road ahead, seems pretty high. Meetups, even without me, seem really valuable if you feel like your counterculture views isolate you a bit from other people in your life. That's something I definitely understand. Now imagine all your fringe views are publicly available for people in your life to comb through and talk about amongst themselves. Welcome to my life. I'm out here, you know? But maybe if we have some meetups and I can't go, I'll at least Skype in or Zoom in or whatever it is you want me to do. It would be nice to say, what's up, if that were to occur. And this interview got turned around pretty fast for THC. Only two days. Big thanks to our editor for making that happen. It was interesting to see how our inauguration thoughts played out. We were just having a little fun as Adam spelled out what the Q crowd was promoting and circulating, a complete takeover of the airwaves and a red pilling of the masses featuring Jeffrey Epstein. Provocative ideas to consider, but at the end of the day, we got what was to be expected. And I agree with Adam that the Republic is quite strong and can probably handle whoever's president. Though I think we're on shakier ground than we've been on in a long time, as noted in a couple of the first THC episodes of 2021, obviously. But when Adam asked me what I found so soothing about No Agenda, it is a delicate thing to articulate, because as I said that they were taking things lightly and with a sense of humor, all I could think in my head was, oh god, it sounds like I'm saying we're making light of a situation that is hurting a lot of people and scaring even more. But it isn't that. It's just about the tone and really the transmutation of media stories that are designed to scare you and stress you out. It's an alchemical act to flip 
reporting from the most sophisticated propaganda and mind control machine the world has ever known and pull back the curtain on all of it and show that the emperor has no clothes, so to speak. Obviously, people who listen to No Agenda know what I mean. So you should just do that if you don't already. But it was fun to get to tell Adam about the money bomb. I am proud of that and happy that it happened and enjoyed it while it lasted. And I also wanted to articulate that one issue I had in trying to go the value-for-value route. When you're poor and inexperienced and desperate for that support, to have a few anonymous people carrying the bulk of your income felt very unstable to me. It felt almost like a handler situation in a couple of cases. And no disrespect, those three or four people are actually pretty key to the history of the Higher Side Chats and the fact that I didn't just disappear into the ether like 95% of podcasts that start up do. I really, really needed those donations at the time. But again, I get guarded and skeptical, and I don't ever want to be in anyone's pocket. What's the difference between GameStop being able to get me to dance for a paycheck and CherryPopper69 at Yahoo.com having pretty much the same influence? I don't know if I got that email address exactly right, but you get the point. The way I see it, the THC Plus model democratizes that income stream for me and makes sure that the trajectory of things is in my hands and the hands of the many rather than just a couple of deep pockets. It is what it is. We all find our way, and I really couldn't be more grateful for how it turned out. But my nature is to be open, and my model with THC kind of requires me to be protective of the second hour, although throughout 2020, we've done some episodes that I considered so useful that I threw out a coupon code so that people could hear the whole thing. And I'm going to do that today, too. In the spirit of value for value, let's see what happens. If you put in the coupon code CURRY, you can get a free week of THC Plus once again. I kind of went back and forth because for a person in my position, the purpose of getting the big guests is to entice more listeners to become Plus members. But because this is such a special episode about podcasting itself, and Adam and I have so many colleagues that I'm sure will be checking this out for their own self-preservation, I think it's important that you can hear this whole episode without spending a dollar. The future of podcasting is on the line, goddammit. Plus, Adam is busy producing three of his own shows and working out this technical build-out, so don't make him do all the rounds. I tried to get you all the major bullet points and put them in one place. But let's play with this value for value thing. Adam sets the bar at a dollar an hour. How many free hours of THC have you enjoyed? I produce 10 hours of interviews a month, plus a little more and a joint session episode, and I ask for $8. So it really is a bargain by that standard. But if you use the coupon code, maybe let that membership go a little bit. Maybe get into the spirit of contribution if you haven't already. I wonder how many free listeners have ever even really sat down to consider what THC is worth to them. But whatever, I'm really talking to other podcasters here. It's time we invest in our own futures by at least knowing what's going on and or contributing to podcastindex.org with time, talent, or treasure. So to the listeners, I would say send a link to this episode to your favorite shows and make sure the hosts know what's going on here. Give them that coupon code, Curry. 
even if they aren't producing a show that's controversial in nature, they should still endorse podcasting as a free and open platform. Of course, like most days, I did have a few more questions that we didn't get to, and things we didn't get to elaborate on like I might have wanted, and one of those things that I cut was a more pointed question about the extremes of free speech, what some people would consider to be hate speech, and what to do about it, if anything. I cut it because Adam had already mentioned that nothing in an RSS feed can hurt you, and that's probably all that really needs to be said. So hypothetically, what if, let's say, a KKK cast starts up and joins the index? How should that be handled? I think the best option is to just ignore it, because to police it does not make these hypothetical showrunners any less racist. It only drives them underground, which could be worse. Let's put everyone's ideas and perspectives out in the light and let the cream rise to the top and keep an eye on those sketchy areas. By the nature of what an mp3 file or rss feed can contain, it can't hurt you. I agree with that. Because to go the other way means that some really dark, nasty stuff gets associated with the kind of speech the establishment would want to silence. They say our ideas are dangerous and hateful in the same way as that other shit actually is. It's the classic question of where to draw the line. Some things are obvious, but the establishment uses that gray area to move the needle in their favor. And now, one of my episodes about the history of the Rothschilds funding the pillaging of Africa's resources and diamond mines gets taken off YouTube for hate speech and bullying. Yeah, we don't need Big Daddy to draw the lines for us. In the same way, I don't really decide for you guys either. The requirement to be a guest on this show is pretty broad. They just have to have done some research that offers some alternative perspective or identifies some sort of corruption or injustice or mystery, if we want to fold in that paranormal side. But the guests come from many different angles, left, right, and center. We're not just circling around one viewpoint here. And the archive is full of guests who have had some really controversial opinions. But for me, if it's part of the conspiracy culture, then I'm interested in what brings people to the conclusions that they have, right or wrong. When it comes to 90% of the bad reviews THC has on iTunes, the comments are about a particular guest or a particular episode, generally asking, how could you endorse this kind of thing? But to be curious about what data points bring a person to a particular conclusion is not an endorsement. Flat Earth is a good, less hot example than some other things I could cite, but it became a big thing. It sounded a bit weird that such an old idea that I thought was put to rest could rise up like it did a few years ago. So I had some Flat Earth researchers on, and they definitely made me think twice about a couple of things. They have a few interesting data points. It's not as simple as, well, why can't you just sail off the edge? because their configuration addresses that in a pretty interesting way. I still don't think the Earth is flat. Sorry to offend with that controversial view, I know. But why can't we talk to each other? Why so serious? In an era where the culture is moving towards everyone curating their own stream of information that reinforces their already established perspective, 
I want to remain committed to hearing a wide variety of people out, even if, after many years, some people just don't get what I'm trying to do around here. But who gives a shit? The vast majority do. And I gotta quit angling my wrap-ups to the minority. But I'm all fired up. <laughs> I'm just really happy today. And I'm proud of what we've built here. And I'm happy to at least feel like I have a seat at the table. I was early to podcasting. I want to be early to podcasting 2.0, for Christ's sake. Thanks for listening. I am going to try to keep these things moving at a high level. I hope you continue to find it valuable and contribute accordingly. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Of course, again, in this case, use the coupon code CURRY when you are signing up. There is a nice little link that says, got a coupon? You click that link. You put in the word CURRY. You get a free week. And you can comb through the many years of archives. You can download any shows, listen to them offline. It's all good. In today's Plus Show with Adam, we rounded out the conversation with some talk about bringing back the free spirit of the early internet and early podcasting, some smartphone alternatives that don't suck and don't rely on the Apple or Google store, another pinch point for free speech and the apps that support it. We talked about the value of blockchain technology in this changing world of censorship, the great resetters' plans for the internet and social crediting, the biosecurity state being built up around us, what Adam knows about the crossroads between the occult and the music industry. Now, that was a fun question to ask to an ex-MTV VJ. And we talked about some solutions for decentralizing our social communities and the value of protocols over platforms. All good stuff, jam-packed as usual. And just going over that list reminds me that we know Adam is a bit more aggressively pro when it comes to crypto than a lot of our previous guests. And some simple thinkers will hear crypto and equate it to digital dollars and the moves being made there and think digital equals bad. I get all that but it's very parallel to the internet itself. This tool was built and it has a lot of powerful and positive uses. It also has social media that manipulates your pleasure centers and gets you addicted to likes, as well as marketing that is so finely tuned by behaviorists that it's hard to not fall prey to and all other sorts of stuff we don't like. We kind of have the choice to shepherd it where we want it to go. Obviously the internet got away from us in recent years, but we are pushing back now. Crypto is really the same thing. Yes, it's digital money. You know, it's pretty much like all fucking money at this point anyway. I don't know the last time I handed someone a paper dollar, actually. But yes, something like Fedcoin or the Amero and all this biometrically and behaviorally connected currency, it's coming. But so is free and open instantaneous exchange between creators and consumers. Without any approval from a higher authority. So it's this and that. My concern is mainly that crypto is in too early of a phase to rely on it as a main mechanism for income. Podcasting itself barely has wide penetration. If our income is going to rely on podcast listeners who also actively engage in crypto payment systems regularly, then I look forward to slowly starving off the two dozen of you that fit that description. But these big payment processors aren't going to save us, so what do we do? I'm sure when the system is built right into the app, it will start getting used a lot more. 
I guess I would say that if you don't like Adam's approach using crypto, then build something better. Anyone can talk shit. And most of us are just going to adapt to what the real visionaries and developers build anyway. <sighs> so here we are. Wow. All right. Thanks for letting me unload all my related thoughts on all of these things in this wrap-up. No better episode to do it on. I am going to take a break from this kind of talk and fatiguing you with my concerns about my quote-unquote job. And next week, we'll be right back to Hollow Earth, Interplanetary Pyramid Portals, and our Martian Overlords. So, important and pressing issues as always. I love you. You love me. Let's make podcasting censorship free. Big thanks again to Adam Curry, the man with the plan. Follow his three shows, No Agenda, MoFax with Adam Curry, and Podcasting 2.0. Keep an eye on newpodcastapps.com and spread the word. The podcasting revolution will not be televised. I'm getting out of here. Your move, corporate giants, free speech suppressors, and agents of the oligarchs. Your fucking from space it was falling, its light started calling, it's making crop circles again. Just as I was looking up, it showed me all the hidden stuff, and now I'm all enlightened and zen. Waking up the masses is hard, silver ships are coming yard by yard. Now I'm not asleep, don't obey the elite, gotta be. Set me straight I encourage you to go When you see the saucers glow One by one we'll all end up awake Enlightening the masses is hard Silver ships are coming yard by yard Now we're not asleep Don't obey the elite Got a beam to the head Now we start to wonder No, we're not the sheep Starts to die Cabal's hate it When we make it So they'll break it And next round they'll erase it It's a big loop What can we do Still it's time We had another Cause we're not